Hello and welcome to In Lockdown With, a podcast where I, playwright Kieran Fitzgerald, chats to emerging, established and experienced artists in the fields of theatre, film, television, dance and drama, from Wales and beyond, to find out more about their careers and to see how they've been coping during the coronavirus pandemic. Expect laughs, gossip, and an insight into the careers of some of Wales's best-known creatives. If you enjoy this podcast, please like and subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Thank you. Hello and welcome to In Lockdown With, with me, Kieran Fitzgerald. Today, my guests are Volition Theatre Company, who are made up of Phil Brewer and Rebecca Riley. Hi guys, how's it going? Hi, how you doing? Not too bad, how's lockdown been? Oh, not too bad. I mean, it's, it's all sort of the same amount of work, just from home and not seeing as many people, which <laughs> is always weird, but... No, yeah. it's definitely been a very strange time trying to get used to all of this kind mm. of stuff going on. I think I think definitely for me it's been the social isolation of not being able to go out and see all my mm. favourite people all the time. That's what's been difficult, but at the same time, it's nice to kind of reflect. Mm. It's a good time for artists. We can kind of just sit back and work on things that we've been procrastinating over before. Yeah. How's it going for you, Kieran? I mean, I, I, I recognise what Phil say, and then it's like you've got all the time to sit down and write stuff. It's like, are you actually going to use... It's, it's one thing, like, having all that time. It's how you use it. It's like... Yeah. <laughs> like I've, I've been saying for the last few days, I'm going to start writing something new. But it's that thing of sitting down at your laptop and just... Writing it, do you know what I mean? Getting in that mindset. It's always the hardest bit to just actually sit down and write something like that. I always find myself staring towards my PlayStation, just thinking that looks very tempting when I'm sitting there trying to work on it. I don't envy writers. (laughs) I I want to start the beginning, like I always start these podcasts, and ask you, how did you first get interested in theatre and what were your kind of really theatrical experiences? Can we start with, with you, Phil? Yeah, yeah, sure. It's a really big question. Um, I mean, I've been kind of involved with theatre my whole life. I know it's a bit of a cliche, really, but I mean, when I was really young, my parents used to go take me to see shows and stuff. Apparently, it's the only way they get me to shut up which is kind of sad when you think about it but yeah (laughs) but no I mean I joined a youth theatre when I was about five years old and that was really my first experience of getting involved in any of that kind of stuff I used to go to loads of clubs like chess club and football club and never really liked any of them apart from the um, youth theatre I used to go to and ended up ended up in that youth theatre for about 11 years, kind of just, and we were just doing a range of different productions, some which we made up ourselves, some which were like Shakespeare, Mm. all that kind of stuff, and you end up getting a whole range of different stuff you can do, different plays, and it's, yeah, I suppose I just kind of fell in love with it at a young age, and it's just always been something that's 
been really interesting for me. I mean, I was only an actor back then. No. Mm. Um, but yeah, yeah, no, definitely. It's been it's been a really interesting ride. Was it a similar thing for you, Becca? Uh, sort of similar. I can't say that I got into theatre quite as early as Phil. I hadn't gone to see like my first play until I was maybe in my in my early teens, and I started after that volunteering at a local youth theatre and community centre and helping out with all the small events and that sort of mm. thing. So. I, I did end up doing a little bit of acting, uh, which turned into a lot of acting. But I yeah. really started off doing the behind-the-scenes stuff and working in the community. And was that what you kind of enjoyed more at that point? Or was, it, was that kind of what you kind of saw yourself doing more at that point? Oh, definitely. I mean, I, I wasn't much for school. <laughs> when, yeah. I was, when I was younger so any opportunity I could get to get out and do some work and be creative and mm. not feel like I just have to stare up at the sky out of the window for a few hours <laughs> that uh, was fantastic and when did you kind of begin to see it as something question for both of you now when did you start to see it as something that you wanted to do as a career hmm it's a very interesting question. I mean, I personally kind of, from a young age, like in school and stuff like that, I was always known as the actor one, you know, I was always mm. known as the one who did all that kind of stuff. So I suppose from a young age, I really knew I wanted to act. I wanted to act and I wanted to be an actor. And that's kind of what it was all about for me growing up. It was only when I got a bit older, I'd say, just before I came, went to university, like 18, 19, when I suddenly realised actually there's so much you can do with theatre that mm. isn't acting. Mm. And you don't necessarily have to be an actor to be involved. And I think that's when I changed my mind and said, I don't want to be an actor, but definitely theatre is the way to go for me. And I suppose, yeah, so from a really young age, I knew I wanted to be involved in theatre as like a career. Definitely. It's odd, isn't it? Because when you, when you first start out, you think, I want to be famous. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm going to have so much going for me. And then you get into theatre and you suddenly realise quite how difficult it is. But part of the ride and part of the enjoyment is how difficult it is. It's problem solving. And that's the thing that I always like the most. There's this perception of it being glamorous or whatever. But when you're doing it, you kind of realise... This isn't that glamorous, but I still love it anyway, <laughs> even, even if it's, like, not what I initially thought it was, you know. <laughs> you find something in that, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. When, you're, when you're still standing on a stage at one in the morning trying to take everything down mm. at the end of a production, you're like, oh, <laughs> this is what it is. A big part of you does wonder why you're doing it at that point, but <laughs> carry on anyway. <laughs> uh, and you both went... The Brit School of Foreign Arts in London. Um, yeah. What did that experience kind of give you? What did you learn from that which has helped you in your uh, early careers since? Do you want to start, Phil? Yeah, sure. I mean, going to Brit was a very strange thing just in general. I mean, the first, the first point I think I'd have to make was 
what hit me first is that suddenly I was going from a school where about maybe two, three people in the year were interested in drama and theatre. Suddenly went to a school surrounded by people who were just as much into it as I was, and that was a really interesting thing. Of suddenly, it didn't feel like it didn't feel like something that was uncool. I suppose <laughs> I could actually yeah. like let loose of it a bit, and we could, we could actually talk about it mm. and have like have fun. We could experiment, and to have that support network definitely was one of the biggest things that Brick gave gave me. And it's people I still. Um, work with regularly today just all that group of people like really helpful and also it also pushed us to make our own work I suppose right it wasn't it like yes there was a lot of oh yeah read from the script and we got directed and we had big productions but I think in a way it influenced our careers is that it kind of it showed us that you've got to go out and you've got to make something yourself if you're not getting parts or you're not getting work or for whatever reason that shouldn't stop you you need to go out and start making your own kind mm. of stuff yeah no you can't just sit there and hope that things come to you ever and did it feel more like maybe a degree level course than just the equivalent of a levels Oh, definitely. I mean, they, they always said that uh, those two years are almost the equivalent of one year at drama school. Yeah, they did They did say that a lot. It's an interesting thing because it, it's so specialist. Mm. It's much more like a university degree in that sense that we were really focused just on one subject, as it were, rather than doing four different subjects at A-level. Mm. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. And the work was so varied that we got to do. We got to do so many different things like... And we had physical theatre, we had contemporary theatre, script writing classes, directing classes. Studying all the practitioners and all of that kind of Considering they don't charge, it's incredible, really. No, yeah. (laughs) How much you get. We're just plugging the school at the moment, but yeah, (laughs) great school. And and then, kind of coming out of that, um, back in my own thing, you didn't go to uni, uh, well, so you did. Um, do you think that kind of British school experience kind of prepared you for life as a creative outside your head? I know that you've done a degree, Phil, but did it kind of prepare you for, for life um, on the outside world as kind of freelance creatives? Um, um. I think it's a really difficult one because in some ways, yes, the the skills that you need in order to act like a professional, to be professional, to work hard and to never let people down, that is something that was drilled into you and you need that at every point in your career. But to be honest, most of all, going into the real world, it was just (laughs) my general experience from being younger of not really wanting to do education quite as much I wanted to go straight into work so I just kind of threw myself and hoped for the best at that point Uh, and so for you like was it kind of um did you see it as like did you both see it as like a platform to build from to like do you know what I mean yeah it's, diff- it's, it's strange. It's, when you're there at the time, you kind of 
you obviously have a skewed vision on what the world will actually be like. I think anyone in education yeah. can relate to that. I mean, there were a lot of things they kind of gave us. Like one of our last modules there was literally called Springboard, and the whole idea was that it was meant to be a springboard off into the real world that we could start doing yeah. our own work with. It definitely taught me a lot. It, taught, it definitely, they really drilled into us how hard it is to be a creative, like mm. not just the actual work side of it but the emotional side of it the kind of the ability to deal with rejection the long know, hours the long hours mm. the instability and the worries that you might not get paid next month having to deal with that kind of stuff it's i suppose that's in terms of the real world if you're not talking about kind of the skills that they taught us that was the main thing that i took away from mm. that though then again i still Still left thinking it was going to be a damn sight easy. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, Phil, question for you next. Um, yeah. How did you first become interested in, in writing? Is it kind of something that you've always done? Oh, it's, it's an interesting one. I mean, I've always really really loved the idea of stories and how they can kind of shape your views on different things i've always loved that i mean since i was a since i was like a really young kid i mean i was always watching movies and i used to write little plays that i used to get my family to perform and yeah. put them in costumes and stuff and it was really really atrocious stuff but you know it's it was good it was good fun at the time um, I mean, but then I, I suppose I didn't really write much during my teens at all. I didn't do anything like that. I mean, I occasionally, I'll go to gate, occasionally write a scene or something like that, but nothing properly. It wasn't really until, I suppose it was at Brit again, when we had this, we had a script writing module in Brit and that kind of encouraged us to write a whole play. And the best ones were going to get chosen to be at the this um, big festival that they put on at a theatre in Wimbledon. Yeah. And I got really excited about it, so I started writing and writing and really making this play amazing, and mine did not get picked. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember just sitting there and thinking how furious I was that my play didn't get picked, yeah. but it was clearly the best play out of the board, obviously. That. These are the harsh realities. Yeah, and I thought, well, if I care that much about something I've written more than I've really cared about anything before, then yeah. this is probably a good route for me to go down. And then I started writing more just in my own time and we ended up making a few performances with some mates and stuff and I kind of thought, yeah, I could probably do this. Yeah, it's, <laughs> you know? yeah. No, it's cool. It was, like a lot of things, I think it's all about confidence, and having confidence in yourself and what you're doing. Oh, definitely. Um, oh, definitely. And Becca, for you in terms of directing, Mm -hmm. um, have you kind of developed a process that you use regularly when you're directing stuff or does it kind of vary depending on what project is? Yeah, I mean, um, I think because of my, my background in community work, I've always liked to have a very open feeling process, uh, you know, openly creative, anyone can put in what they want to put in when we're working in a space, it's very workshop based. So obviously it changes from time to time, style to style, like depending on either Phil's written or someone else has written, mm -hmm. if I'm directing it, then it has to 
it has to fit that story. It has to fit the people who are playing those characters. You want them to fit into your process as much as your process fits yourself. If you if you see what I mean. Yeah, I see. Yeah. Mm. So it's kind of a, a collaborative environment then between the director and and the actors. Absolutely. That's that's how I always want it to feel. I mean, sometimes it can be so hard not to get really, really swept up. You know, when you think you have like the best idea ever and you really want to go with it, you go with it, you push it and you push it. And then suddenly someone turns around to you and goes, that just doesn't work. And you go, yeah, no, it doesn't. <laughs> and you have, you have to take yeah. on their points. If you're only listening to yourself as a director, then I don't know. I, I just don't feel like your work will ever feel that natural. You're not properly leading yeah and also for the actors involved i guess they're going to feel more strongly about the project if they've got a say in how it's developing and if it feels like kind of more democratic in that sense mm. no, hopefully you you want you want your actors to feel ownership over the work they're creating the characters they're making if they don't feel ownership over their characters then yeah once again those characters will not feel real no it's like, I'm just, um, and Phil, but, um, after you left, but you toured a play called Decades by Leo Butler, um, Brighton Fringe, and it went to the Oval Hills Theatre in London. How did the experience of touring kind of frame what your ambitions were as an actor at that point? Yeah, it's a really, I mean, it was a really fantastic year and I was really lucky to be able to be a part of it. Um, I'd, I'd say it kind of, in terms of my um, actual ambitions, I suppose, as it were, of being an actor, it told me how, it told me how stressful being an actor could be. I mean, that, that tour was... It was chaos. It was brilliant fun. <laughs> it was brilliant fun. And we had a really, really good show with a talented cast. Yeah. But we didn't really have much of a tech team. So we ended up having to transport the set. And it's this big set. Like, yeah, that was really, huge. Yeah, really big kind of like <laughs> scaffolding and stuff. And we, right. us bunch of 17, 18-year-olds, were the only ones who knew how to take it apart and put it back together. So it ended up having to be us. And I think it was kind of the first time it dawned on me that actually there's more to theatre than just what you're doing on stage and you're acting, you know. It, it, we all had to suddenly take up every single role that we could. And I suppose that I, in the most ironic kind of way, doing that kind of tour, I mean, we were ended up touring for about a month acting. It kind of made me realise maybe acting wasn't the path I necessarily wanted to go down. But I still loved everything I was doing. I mean, working with Leo was a fantastic experience. I mean, he's an absolutely incredible writer, absolutely incredible writer. And I remember I just, it was when I was just starting to get kind of into writing properly and yeah. I gave him an early draft of a show that we ended up doing, actually, Boot, and asked him, and I was like, oh, Leo, would you mind reading this for me? It's a play I've written. <laughs> kind of thing, you know, had my hands kind of thing, and he was like, "Yeah, yeah, of course." He was, of course, he was lovely about it because he is a lovely guy, and he mm. read it through and he sent me pages and pages of feedback wow. on it, and his 
some of the most useful feedback I've ever had on anything I've written and completely changed the play in the end and it was kind of like yeah it really really solidified in my mind actually yeah no it's the making of theatre that I like and actually the acting wasn't necessarily always going to be there for me though I do still love acting I definitely still really enjoy it but it's not my main focus as it were it's like just kind of having that realisation of the you knew it was always going to be theatre, but not that specific path as a writer. So that kind of solidifies yeah, in your mind yeah. what you wanted to, to do. I guess a lot of people don't have that solidity of thought at that point. Do you know what I mean? Definitely. Oh, definitely. I mean, well, I've been, I've been acting at that point for, gosh, about 13, 14 years. And it never really occurred to me that, oh, you could... You don't just have to do acting, you can do a whole yeah. range of stuff. It's it's, yeah. it's a strange thought to have because a part of you also thinks like, damn, I've kind of I need to I need to get moving now. If there's something you want to change track now, Jesus Christ, I'm putting myself in a bad position. But no, yeah, no, it's, it, was, it was definitely one of the better decisions yeah. I made to kind of step down from the acting world and kind of that's why I went to university and studied writing, so I wanted to know so much more about it. And yeah, it definitely your best decision that I've made. You, you know, you, you were foolish enough to do a worthless script-writing degree in Cardiff. I don't know <laughs> who would do that. I certainly wouldn't. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, I, I know. Probably people listening to this are just shaking their heads in disgust. <laughs> 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 I, I, I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> Becca is feeling really judgmental like that. Some of the primary schools that we went into 
mm-hmm. and it meant that there just weren't that many TAs to help us out, and so mm-hmm. some of the primary students were really left behind with it, which could be, uh, you know, it could be quite upsetting for some of the older students to see because they really wanted to help, but you know, there's there's nothing much that we can do about that, sadly, apart from give them a really good experience would that you, hopefully they'll remember. Would you make a really good play? Showing now yeah. how all these primary schools are underfunded. You, you may not have enough TAs, but this is a really kick ass play that we've got for you to do. So that it doesn't matter. <laughs> but, um, how, um, how did you decide to start Volition Theatre Company? Question for both of you. My God, I mean, we worked with each other before. I mean, obviously, yeah. we, we went to college together and we'd, we'd done certain different projects together before, so we knew we kind of gelled, as it were. But um, I think the idea to start Volition, it had been a very long time coming. It had been something we said we'd wanted to do for a while, Yeah, actually, because... Becca loved directing, I loved writing. It just seemed like, why wouldn't we combine those mm. ideas? And I remember we were in Devon at my parents' place. And I was talking to you because I'd just been up to the Edinburgh Fringe. And I remember going and seeing a lot of productions at the Edinburgh Fringe and just sort of... I was, I was disappointed, I think. Mm. Because I, was, I don't... I didn't particularly enjoy a lot of what I saw I felt that I felt that there was a lot of shows that definitely they had a clear agenda when we were going in and I'm definitely not against theatre with an agenda I think it's one of the best political tools that we have but when the agenda comes at the expense of the actual um, theatricality of the actual show I think a lot of the time they were missing the point of what theatre can be. Sometimes there's not enough space for growth. Yeah. Thing. You know, yeah. you start in one place and then there's there's no way to move upwards. Right. Definitely. And I just I just remember seeing it and seeing so many plays that were exactly the same, exactly the same. Just thinking I don't I don't like that. I don't think that's what it should be about. So then was it I came up with an idea. Was it kind of preaching one kind of viewpoint to the audience rather than allowing the audience to make up their own minds about a particular thing? Completely. Yeah, exactly that. This is why we uh, came up with the name Volition for our company because we wanted it all to be about our audience's free will to choose the answers that they wanted to get from what we were telling them or providing them. So one big um, kind of statement that we make is that we do not ever want to lead an audience down a particular path of thought. We want to present lots of different arguments and allow an audience to choose for themselves and what they think is right and hopefully inspire debate mm. in the process of doing that. That's what we desperately wanted to do. Yeah. That's really why we started our volition. We wanted to see theatre like that, so we thought instead of looking for it, let's just go make it. Why not? Yeah. And, and do you think, you know, a lot of theatres kind of very kind of left-leaning, I would say. Do 
do you think there needs to be more kind of centrist theatre or maybe less kind of theatre is inherently political, I think. Absolutely. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, it's that's a really interesting point. I don't think it's it's as much about it not being left wing because like, I'm, I'm so left wing as a person. <laughs> I, the theatre itself generally is very left wing, and it always has been. Is a it's a thing of it's a speech of protest almost, yeah. and protest is usually does come from left wing mm. ideologies. I but suppose. there are so many sides to protest, and there are so many ways that you can do it, and exactly. it's it's important to show all sides and how people want to move forwards. Yeah, I I I agree with that, and and in terms of um, your experience um, as an actor, Becca, how is it? Uh-huh. How has it helped you in terms of directing um, for the literature and directing other pieces? Uh, well, I think because I did so many years of acting. I can when I, when I'm directing, I do feel that I can relate to the struggle <laughs> that they have right. when they're up on stage. You know, when when you suddenly see that look in an actor's eye, it's like, oh god, I've lost it. And as a director, you start going, oh no. But you just kind of remember that point where you were a few a few years ago being an actor, and you look at them and you you just you remember exactly how you challenged those issues mm. and you have all those techniques that you can help them with and it's it's always so lovely to be able to do that. So I think the acting has really helped with the style of directing. You can kind of emphasise with what the performer is going through. Um, Absolutely. And performing is, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's really showing your heart and soul to the world and it's it's so much energy to portray a character and I, I think that directors need to have that feeling of understanding and being able to say to an actor that is fine if you can't deal with that right now or yeah. you need this to help you move forwards that, uh, that's that yeah. having that kind of hand that outreach that support in the room when it's needed <laughs> Definitely, so support is is the biggest part because these characters can be really something to get your head around mm. as an actor sometimes. And maybe that be... got that guidance is just kind of needed sometimes, rather than allowing yes, kind of exploration for the actor is really important. Mm. But having that guidance to help them get there, would you agree with that? That that's a vital part oh. of it as well. Definitely, because I mean, I've, I've been in a few different, you know, varieties of rehearsal rooms and <laughs> audition spaces, and you can really feel the difference to when a group of actors feels really calm and safe and secure and like they can make those mistakes which create brilliant art, and then those other rooms where everyone's really uptight and they yeah. have no idea what to do and they don't feel like they can ask that question, and it doesn't mm. work in those spaces. Yeah. Just, At least in my view. <laughs> I, I agree with you that having that openness, I think, is really important. Uh, yeah. uh, and so, uh, you you founded um, a theatre company previously called New Theatre. How did that kind of frame your your expectations when you were starting the mission up? Oh, I mean... 
Uh, yeah, when when we, it was me and a few friends also from the Brit School who founded New Theatre. Back then we didn't we didn't call ourselves New Theatre. We called ourselves Devise and Bird, which I think was, <laughs> I think we were meant to be some awful play on words between devising and Heisenberg because we loved Breaking Bad at the time. We are going back. Big thing, we are, yeah, we are going back a while. <laughs> and I think, yeah, I mean, it started off, we literally just, we just devised a show about some um, some young adults in an office, really, working in an office. Right. It, we had a huge amount of fun doing it, but it was, it was really just kind of meant to be a small thing for our school. And then we ended up getting picked up by um, this other show who needed a show to go with them. So we ended up performing at a few pubs in Croydon. And it, from that, and then we kind of decided, oh, yeah, let's like keep going with this. Let's keep going. Let's see what we can actually achieve. And definitely it taught, it taught me a lot of skills in terms of actually devising and making your own work and actually how to work with friends hugely because... Obviously, when you're working with friends and you're young enough that uh, uh, you mess around quite yeah. a bit. Yeah, you can get away with yeah. so much. Yeah, you can get away with stupid <laughs> amounts. And I think it kind of taught me that actually messing around and stuff is great and you really need it in theatre. But it definitely comes up to a point where you want to you wanna rein it in. You know, know yeah. when to be able to mess around and know when to be serious. But I'd probably say the biggest thing being in that group taught me was the idea of how important marketing is and yeah. how important all the other really boring sides of theatre actually <laughs> are. Like, you can make a bloody stellar play, but it doesn't matter if nobody's going to no, come sure. to see it. Yeah. If you can't fill out an, a funding application, then your exactly. play... <laughs> yeah, it doesn't matter how yeah. good it is. Gone. Yeah, it's never, it's never going to be great. And it kind of forced us to go into those roles and everything of working out how we were going to do it. And then, I mean, we ended up using contacts that we had. I mean, um, and we ended up managing to land doing the Mayor of Croydon's fundraiser one year. Which was really cool. We did like a kind of very immersive ex um, theatrical experience, which allowed us to be viewed by a whole different audience cool. and everything. It, yeah, and it was it was really cool. And it was only because we actually decided to push out the boat a little bit with what we could do, and then we ended up having this whole new type of performance that none of us had ever done before. But mm. we really threw ourselves into it, and it was great. And it really, yeah, it just demonstrates how important it is to learn all of the other sides it is just running a normal business at the end of the day yeah you've got to learn you've got to know how to do all these different things and, and did you take that attitude into volition and into when you started working as volition oh definitely i mean it was when we attacked our first play which was boom mm. We already, both of us, because we've both done a lot of experience in that kind of work before, had a really good idea of how we were going to go about mm. marketing it and who our target audience was and how to get a lot of resources free yeah, as well. Yeah, that is the main thing. When you're a low-budget company, like, yeah. especially like we were when we started off, and we literally did our first play, we are like, we're not going to spend a penny. 
we just want to see how well we can do without spending yeah. anything. With props, you know, collecting scrap from anywhere yeah. to make anything you can. <laughs> Didn't we, we were walking down through Cardiff once and we just saw a table just lying in the middle of the road. And then we carried it about three miles to the uni. Yeah, yeah. We, you we nicked the table. This is a prop. So you nicked the table. <laughs> I am... <laughs> I'll kind of on the subject of our production boot. Um Yeah. Um when you kind of what have I got my note? When you kind of started putting it together, um did it kind of was there a point where you were like, Oh, we're actually doing this now? Did it kind of take over in terms of I can't know what I'm trying to say here, but like <laughs> having kind of decided to produce your own work, your self by boot, was there a point where you thought, oh, we're not actually going to be able to pull this off? Did it kind of overwhelm <laughs> you at all? Or did you th- think you had the kind of skills up until that point to prepare yourself? I mean, it, is, it is quite humbling when you finally, you know, when you have that first mm. pushback, and it's something like, oh, wait, we didn't do that bit of marketing in time. Obviously, that being our yeah. first production, there were a few moments yeah. where that sort of thing would happen. And you mm. suddenly go, right, we're going to have to push it back a little bit, but we are going to get it done. And it's mm. that it's that feeling of we have to do it because you, you've crossed that bridge. There's no going back. Mm. You've just got to sort it out. You've got to get it done. The best thing to force yourself into doing something is to always get other people involved. So it's like, if we don't end up pulling this off, we are going to look like such tits. You know, <laughs> that's, that's what's going to drive me. You know, you got to you got to keep going with it. But yeah, there was two moments for me, really, where I suddenly dawned on me, oh my God, we're actually doing this and we're actually going to pull this off, was... The first one was in the first rehearsal room when we actually had a full cast together. Oh, that's amazing. And it was such a cool vibe and everyone was like really into the project and everything. And I remember thinking then, wow, we've we've definitely done a big step here. I mean, we still had so far to go, but it was a wicked feeling. And then the second one was on opening night and actually sitting there by the tech desk watching it. And I must have had about six panic attacks in that (laughs) half hour. I was freaking out. But it was wicked. It was absolutely, and it was one of one of the proudest like um, productions I've ever been a part mm. of. I think one of the ones mm. I'm most proud. I of, agree for sure, for sure. And I bet I give you a lot of confidence in terms of producing future work based on how well um, that went. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it was the first time I think, at least for me, mm. I was part of a production of this kind of scale where I wasn't actually in the show. Yeah. It was the first time I'd ever done that because before I'd written, but I was also acting at right. the same time. And being able to step back from it at times definitely gives you a different perspective. Yeah, and it's, it's great as well because it was our first production boot as, as a company, so there were some things that were going to go wrong. No matter how hard <laughs> you try and keep it together, but even when things did, it, there was really that spirit of, like, everyone really wanted to make it work. They really did. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, once we got to the end of it all, we just had this checklist of things that you have to do <laughs> and things that you shouldn't do. <laughs> 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 and, 
and we got them. And yeah, yeah, it was it was a very helpful experience. It was a hugely helpful experience. I mean, one of the di- most difficult things for us was finding actors. I mean, you wouldn't think it's that hard, but yeah, oh, when, like, when you don't have any acclaim, we started off um, just we just put a little poster up saying, "Oh, do you want to be part of a play?" Come audition for our play. I think you had a picture of an egg on Yeah, I think you did have a picture of an egg on the front. We put it up, hired out a whole room, waited for people to show up, and nobody showed up. Uh, we called about two people. I, uh, I mean, I want to keep credit for the fact that I kind of cast the lead in that sort of <laughs> <laughs> just pointed at Connor behind the bar and said, yeah, he's an actor. And I was like, right, that's our lead. And then it was. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I love how like, you fully trusted me. And I, I yeah. could have been anyone. <laughs> you could have really screwed us over there, man. <laughs> No, no, it's really cool though. No, it's definitely. I mean, that's the that's the beauty of being at somewhere like a university, especially a creative university like University of South Wales, because everyone everyone just is so friendly and knows each other, and everyone wants yeah. to help you out. And when you face yourself in such a big community, you're never lost for resources. Yeah, I mean, not being from that background at all, when I sort of popped in for the last year to you know steal a little bit of your education. <laughs> <laughs> It, um, you know, it really dawned on me how how nice it actually is to just be surrounded by people who all want to be doing the same mm. thing in in that kind of yeah. way. It's very different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely very different. I, I'm going on to do uh, Mercy last summer. Uh, what did you kind of take on board from from group? that you kind of utilised in, in Mercy? Well, um, it was an in, it's interesting because Boot was quite a small play. It was 30 minutes, I yeah. think it was. And Mercy was a full-length production. So we were, we were bordering the one-and-a-half-hour mark, I think. Yeah, it was two acts. It was, it was really a, a long play. And that hit us hard, I think, because our first our first thing that we took from Boot, the big, big thing, is that we realised the first thing you have to do when you're doing anything like this is set a deadline, make sure you know when this play is going to be going on, first off. Yeah. Don't do anything until you know when that's happening, so you can accord, like, yeah, plan accordingly. Yeah, yeah, plan accordingly. Mm-hmm. And also um, work out how long your runtime is going to be, how long you want this play to be going on for and what type of play it's going to be I mean I've been writing this script for about a year mm. maybe round about a year probably just a bit less than a year and when we decided to put it on and it was a much tougher task for sure I think uh, we, we only had two actors as well at that point mm. so unlike when we had a short play with a lot of actors so you know, there was a lot of there was a lot of break mm-hmm. time where you could split off and work with like one small group of people, and then you know someone else be working with another small group, and you'd get those little moments where you could get stuff yeah. done really quickly. But then you'd have those moments in Mercy where it was just the four of us in the room, and it was just so intense, uh, um... massively intense. And the subject matter of that play as well is, is quite it's heavy. It's quite graphic, yeah. It's very dark, that well, one. We all 
we I mean we are about to just we're about to post twenty minutes of the play that we had performed at the underdog strip writing festival quite soon, so I won't spoil it too much, but it's definitely mm. it had a much darker tone than Boot did. Boot was pretty dark as well. Really. Boot was dark, but the but, way that we had ended up putting it together felt really light and fun yeah, apart from those few moments. But Mercy was is pretty much a downer from start <laughs> to finish. There was a lot kind down. of Kind of from my point of view, more balance in, in Boot, the way that you managed that kind of light and dark. Do you know what I mean? Definitely much, much more balanced in Boot, for sure. We had a few moments of that in Mercy, but then they all had that undertone of real creepiness mm. because, like, the light would just. It was trying to come in, it was punching its way through the wall. And <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, these characters, they're just not, they're not liked people at all. Yeah, they're not nice people. They are not good people. No. <laughs> we weren't in it too much. Yeah, but I mean, by that point when we made Mercy, though, we had already met so many people who were doing the similar kind of thing, so we had people to yeah. go to, mm. for sure, and we had all these different resources as well. And, yeah, I mean, we, we ended up getting the Atrium Theatre for free. Oh, it was amazing. We it was so good of them to... Yeah, we didn't have to pay. And they were absolutely fine. They were absolutely fine with that. And that was really nice to them. And we had a lot of tech to help us out. I, mean, yeah. <laughs> I had a friend who, uh, he was doing our lighting, but he also loves building stuff. And we brought him down. We were like, we need a car. Can you build a car? <laughs> and on that day, we all worked nonstop for about, Lockdown. Well, I mean, Wolves was 
Yeah, luckily we had it actually, we had it all put together before lockdown happened. Right. But it was the marketing process during during lockdown that was the more complicated thing, I think. Yeah, well, we we had actually made, we had made Walls in its entirety. Well, it hadn't been edited, but it had, we had recorded it before lockdown happened. We were quite lucky in terms of that. But yeah, we would. We wanted to release it, and we were thinking we should definitely release it now lockdown's hit, especially because what else are people doing? You're going to have time to listen to a radio play for sure. <laughs> and it was a um, yeah. We well, we thought we want to. We don't want to just release it. Yeah, don't want to just put it there. We don't want to just put it on YouTube or whatever and say there you go. So we we thought, what's the best way we can support? people we know else the best way we can get people involved in releasing this and we thought well let's go in we thought about going to some of our artist friends some of our friends who do like paintings and computer graphics and different things like that and we ended up collecting five people together who we know are very very talented artists and all their stuff is on our page and we got ended up getting them to all listen to the play beforehand and create some fan art Right, it will fan up some art in And that will allow you to do more of this stuff if, as it works, theatres aren't reopening for quite a long time. Definitely. Yeah, sadly. Yeah, it's yeah. a real shame. It's a real shame. I mean, that is why we are focusing at the moment on... We are focusing on radio drama hugely. We think that actually, as far as all the different mediums go, radio drama is probably the best way to go at the moment. Considering you don't actually need people in the same room to be able to create it yeah. in its fullest form. Yeah. Absolutely. And yeah. yeah, you don't rely on visuals either, which can be so difficult exactly. in this environment. Definitely. Um, it's, 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 it's definitely a medium we've been wanting to get into more. Yeah. We've, it's yeah, a fantastic we've been wanting medium. to be exploring it. We've been, I mean, BBC Sounds has just come out and it's absolutely mm. incredible, absolutely incredible. But before then, there was absolutely nothing like that out there for like for radio drama at least. I mean, it was very difficult to come across any of good quality. Mm. Now it's definitely out there, but at the same time, yeah, we just wanted we wanted to have a go at it. We wanted to, yeah, sure, yeah, and we think it's such a brilliant medium and you can do so many interesting things with it. It's quite underutilised at the moment, really. Like, when you when you Google audio dramas online, you get so many websites that look like they've been made in the <laughs> 1990s. It's like, there's got to be something new. There's got to be. Cause it's just so good. Yeah. And, and it's something that people don't really value, I guess, as much as theatre or TV or film. Mm. But there's definitely an audience for it. 
And it's mm. definitely a good way of kind of getting your voice over a writer, especially under these conditions that we're living in at the moment. Mm. Definitely. My last question, before I let you go back into the wild, is um, <laughs> what advice would you give to someone who's just starting out in the industry or maybe thinking about a career in the arts? Hmm. Well, I think from a from a directorial point of view, if you ever get the opportunity to do some directing work and you don't feel like you entirely know what you're doing, step in that room with everything that you know and be confident and just do it. <laughs> just do it and enjoy yourself because the most important thing that you can do is create something natural that you love mm. and... It, it will it will go well as long as you plan well <laughs> bear in mind plan so, well. <laughs> it's not that easy step in blind. <laughs> but step in and be confident when you're actually directing people don't you know don't feel nervous to share your ideas yeah yeah from a writing point of view i'd probably say i mean it's a really really annoying thing and i'm sure a lot of writers will hate me for saying it but the best way to become a writer is to just write mm. and write and write and don't is the most difficult thing about any writing process is the sitting down to actually do it mm. and if you just carry on if you just got to keep on doing it and when you actually come to apply it in the real world don't don't ever be upset if people don't like it because if they don't like it you're going to learn so much more from the people who can be honest and give you genuine yeah. feedback than you are from all the all you, you from when you show it to your mum and she says oh that's <laughs> absolutely brilliant well done how lovely yeah, and all of that. <laughs> I, I, I don't show any of my writing to my parents for exactly that reason <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so like, totally. and get your friends to read it as yeah. well I mean oh, that's, that is so useful okay actually hearing your work done out loud because you'll instantly hear where it works and where it doesn't and mm. yeah, just yeah, go to everyone you know, get everyone you can to read it, apart from your family, <laughs> they won't be honest. <laughs> but yeah, don't be, a, I think the whole thing really is confidence, it's the same as yeah. what Becca said, if you are confident in yourself, other people will believe in you. And nobody knows, well I'd say 90% of people in this, in, in this industry have imposter syndrome they don't feel like they know what we're doing they're doing i mean we definitely don't most of the time we're just stumbling <laughs> along but as long as you have that as long as you have that air of confidence and you just got to think well if i'm not doing it who else is going to do it kind of thing you know exactly, you, don't, yeah. you don't have your voice to share Thanks. you're the only one who can share your mm. unique position on the world and, and you've got to start from that and get a branch upwards and, and just kind of get what you want to say out there. Uh, it's, been, exactly. it's been great yeah. talking to both of you. Um, yeah, I'm really kind of curtailing it because we need it for 55 minutes. But I hope... Oh, wow, um, that's been so fast. <laughs> hope you can join us next episode of In Lockdown With. Not sure who the guest will be yet, but I look forward to seeing you then. So thanks to... Phil and Becca from Volition Thank you so much, yeah, Karen. And I'll catch you guys soon. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of In Lockdown With. The podcast is written, produced and curated by me, Kieran Fitzgerald. Thank you to all my guests for taking the time to appear on the show. If you enjoyed this episode of In Lockdown With, please consider liking or subscribing on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And I'll see you next time for another interview.